Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Story that we share. Michael is somebody who has training in ministry from Harding University, somebody who has years of experience in student ministry and preaching ministry and church leadership, and I could tell you all of the details of that. But the thing I love most about Michael's heart is that in the last couple of years, Michael has received a calling from God to dedicate his time and energy being a pastor to pastors, which means he is somebody who provides attentive care to the people who are tasked with caring for the people of God. He's somebody who is helping pastors to remember the story that is ours. But see, here's the thing, is that pastors aren't the only people who tell the story of God. We we are the people who tell the story of God. And we tell it every day when we're at school or at work or in our neighborhoods on our streets We tell it in our community. We tell it at Starbucks. We tell it at lunch. I mean, we tell the story of God with the way we live our lives. And so as we lead into Easter, I've invited my friend Michael to come and remind us of the depth and the breadth and the meaning of the story that we've been called to tell. So would you give a heritage welcome this morning to my friend Michael Felker? Thank you, Brock. Hey, good morning, Heritage. Good. I heard this is the better service, right? I heard that you guys were more attentive and, uh, you know, just really into it and you laugh a little louder and all that kind of stuff, right? So is that true? Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Well, uh, like Brock said, uh, man, that's just an embarrassment of riches. Isn't Brock such a a great guy, right? I mean, he is so, so, uh, when I'm with Brock, I know that, uh, I have his attention, uh, and that he just wants to encourage. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go into this new nonprofit that I started. I call it kicking at the darkness. I want to help bring hope, clarity, and strength uh, to ministers right now. The statistics are saying, uh, anywhere between, uh, 26 and 34% of ministers are ready to just bail out of ministry altogether, uh, right now now. And that comes out to about 15,000 ministers uh, are just ready to kind of pack it up, not go uh, take another job at another church, uh, but no longer be in ministry. And so I do want to come alongside them and help them uh, and encourage them. And one of the things that I like to do when I visit churches is to encourage you to encourage your staff and your team and the people that get up here and make sure the doors are open, the people that study uh, the Bible, the people that uh, share with you and hear your burdens, the people that, that wake up in the morning thinking about you, who check in on you, uh, who allow you and help you to connect with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you whenever you can find time to encourage them. And so we've got uh, staff that are here in the second service. So just give them a round of applause and say, thank you for what you do. They don't do it. Yeah. 
They don't do it for recognition. They don't do it, uh, you know, for any other reason other than they love Jesus and they love you. And so uh, I know that this church staff loves you guys. And like Brock said, we're all uh, here uh, to tell a story, right? Brock, I was really excited when Brock asked me to come and be a part of this series, tell a good story, because I love a good story. The problem is, though, that some of my favorite stories, some of my favorite uh, movies uh, like Braveheart or Gladiator, um, some of those are on streaming services. But remember, we used to have DVDs, right? We used to actually like touch the movie and and then put it in. All right. So uh, all of my films, all of the stories that I love are about three hours. And now that I'm 42, I got to start it at like 5 p.m. Uh, or, or I'm not going to be able to make it through, right? Some of you may connect with that as well. But I love a good story, whether it's a movie or it's a book uh, or it's sitting across the table from somebody uh, sharing a cup of coffee, hearing about their story. And so if we're going to tell the good story, if we're going to tell a good story, sometimes we might feel a burden that our story just isn't good enough. Or my story isn't a story that people might think is very interesting. Uh, I have always known about Jesus Christ. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church. I did uh, the booster, booster, be a rooster, all that kind of stuff. I don't know the theological significance uh, beyond that, but uh, I know it helped me connect to, to Jesus. So I, I did that growing up. I went to a Christian school uh, growing up. In eighth grade, I was presented with the best boy plaque. Um, I was voted best boy. I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know if that's that gets me early access to the gates. I don't know what that, that allows me to do, but I have proof that I was the best boy in eighth grade. I'm actually, I, I like cheese pizza and vanilla ice cream. I'm a pretty boring individual, right? So some of you may think that's your story. You've always grown up in church. My story is not good enough to share. Or some of you may be on the opposite side. You may say, I wasn't good enough to share my story. I wasn't good enough to share. See, sometimes our, our stories are filled with great triumphs, but sometimes they're filled with great hurts. Or they're stories that we look at in our lives and they have deep scars. Maybe some of those scars aren't even healed up yet. Or maybe they were healed a long time ago, but it's that scar tissue that continues to aggravate and to continue to kind of raise its ugly head. Maybe you've made multiple mistakes. Maybe you are a big failure or you feel like your life is a big failure. How do we tell those stories? See, I don't like telling those types of stories. Uh, I'm one of those that I'm not uh, very good with my hands. Uh, and according to my dad, I'm not even very good at holding the flashlight. Uh, and so when it comes to you know, doing tasks and, sto- and chores and things like that around the house, I'm not very good about it. And I have almost burned down, flooded, uh, broken so many things in our house because I was unwilling to kind of just take that, admit, admit I may be over my head, or I don't think I can do this, or I need some help. I'm trying to fix it while the, the, the brokenness is continuing to, to, to cascade on me. I don't, I, don't, I don't want people to think I'm a failure. I don't want to admit my mistakes uh, sometimes. And so I want to encourage you today. My, my whole point is to encourage you to tell your story. And I want to unburden you a little bit about that because I want to let you know you don't have to be the hero of your story. You don't have to be the heel either, 
But one of those big burdens if telling a good story is feeling like you have to be the hero of the story. You have to be the one that's doing uh, all good. You have to be the one who pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, right? We in the West and here in America, we love a good story of overcoming and we like to kind of stand in the center of that story and say, I did this. And so that might be why we're afraid to tell our stories because we think we have to be the hero. The good news is in your story, you're not the hero, amen? All right, Jesus is the hero. And one of those things when we do make ourselves hero, we, we tell a lie. We tell the lie that uh, we are our own uh, mode of salvation. And then people hear that lie and they think, well, you can save me too. Right? So I want to unburden you from having to be the hero of the story to point to the hero of the good story, who is Jesus Christ. So there's a uh, couple of reasons why I want to encourage you to tell your story. First off is when you tell your story, when you tell your good story, it's to help you remember all that God has done for you, right? So the first reason is to remember. As you look through scripture, maybe you open up a, a, a computer program and you type in how many times is the word remember in the Old and New Testament in our Bibles, you're gonna see a giant number. It's gonna be in the hundreds of times that God tells his people to remember what he has done for them. Sometimes God's God, as God's people, we fail to remember. As the Israelites were leaving Egypt, as they were wandering around in the desert, what did they choose to remember? Oh, the melons and the cucumbers and life was so easy in Egypt. Really, was it? Right, they're remembering wrong. They forgot that they were in slavery and in bondage and God freed them to be able to be his people and to be an example to the rest of the world of what a relationship with God looks like. That's what they needed to remember. So when we tell our story and how Jesus has interacted with it, we're not the hero. We tell it to remember. And then two, we tell it to reveal to others what God can do in their lives right? To remember and to reveal. That's why we tell our stories. So there's a great book called The Seven Plot Points by Christopher Booker. If anybody is an English teacher or anybody just loves the idea and the science behind how stories are told and, and where we got our stories and what makes stories lasting, um, I would encourage you to pick up uh, this book. Uh, and so he identifies that in all of the stories, mo every story falls into at least one of these seven basic plots. Right, and so he identifies the first one being overcoming the monster. Right, you can remember uh, uh, Perseus as he defeats uh, Medusa. Right, that's an overcoming the monster. Uh, rags to riches, Daddy Warbucks adopts Annie and brings him into her family. That's probably one of the best rags to riches stories. The quest, Bilbo Baggins shets, uh, sets out from the Shire uh, in order to uh, take back a treasure from the dragon smog. And then uh, Voyage and Return, Bilbo's nephew, though. Frodo goes and with the fellowship and sets out to the fires of Mordor to destroy the one ring, right? The voyage and return. And then comedy. One of my favorite comedies is White Christmas. How many, buddy, how, how many of us love White Christmas, right? And I love it not because it's funny and not because it has some lightheartedness to it and some great music, um, but it, the reason is it fits within the idea of what a comedy really is. Darkness becomes light. Where there is no hope, 
uh, right there suddenly becomes hope. General Waverly has no snow and he's going to lose this uh, cabin. He's going to lose his retirement. And so his friends come in and save the day. And there's a white Christmas after all, right? That's a great comedy where there was no hope. Now there is hope. And then there's tragedy. And tragedy is usually where there's such great potential, but then a great failure or a great evil takes place. Think about Macbeth, right? Started out with such great potential and then ended up so poorly. And then rebirth. Think about Beauty and the Beast, right? That, that here is this man that was so ugly on the inside and treated people so terribly that he was cursed so that the monster within became visible to everyone else. And then through love and through sacrifice and humility is reborn and rebirthed into a new person, right? These are kind of the seven basic subplots that you can think of every single movie or book or whatever. Take, take a snapshot of this. When you go to lunch, play the game, right? What, what my, this is my favorite movie. Where would it fit uh, within that? Well, I think scripture also kind of gives us some templates, some subplots of some stories that you may be able to find where you fit in. How, how God transformed people in scripture, well, that's how he transformed you or somebody that you know. And, and so I picked out four stories from scripture that I want us just to kind of look at today. And maybe you will find yourself in one of these stories. Maybe your story connects with one of these four stories. And the first one we have is found in John uh, chapter four, and it's the woman at the well. Jesus and his disciples are going, uh, they're, they're wandering and they're walking and Jesus is doing his teaching. And they come to a well and Jesus is hungry and he's thirsty and he sits down at the well and the disciples go on into town in order to find uh, some food and some drink. And uh, a woman comes up to the well. And this woman is there and she's coming all by herself. See, maybe getting water back then was a little bit of like what we might say, going to the water cooler, uh, but going to the well, the women might go there for social reasons or uh, to uh, go to the well, take all their kids, let the kids kind of play around, not in the well, uh, right? But play around the well area and then uh, see, see one another and get the latest gossip and talk about what's uh, going on. But here comes this woman all by herself. There's something off about that. There's something uh, uh, interesting about that. And Jesus engages her in a conversation. And he finds out, and she reveals to, or Jesus reveals to her that he knows all the mistakes that she has made. He says, go and get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, that's right, because you've got five Something happened in her life. She made mistakes. Mistakes were made against her. Something happened, but her life was so defined by mistakes that she was isolated and alone and didn't even really want to share her story. And what she does is she gets up and she runs into town to tell everyone uh, that she has found the Messiah, the one who offers not just water from a well that you have to keep going back to, but the one that offers eternal life and living water. And when she runs back to town, the people there hear what she has to say. And it says, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. 
This woman went from being defined as someone who made a lot of mistakes to being a missionary to her entire town. She may have been ashamed of her story, but when she tells that story and points to the Messiah, people want to hear it for themselves. And what's so great about this is that the people respond, you told us and we believed then, but now that we've heard Jesus, now that we've seen him, we know he's the Messiah. Your story moved our story just a little bit further. Right, so she went from, a mis- from mistakes to a missionary. The next story is this one. You, we find it in Mark, in Mark chapter 5. We see a man that goes from scarred to set right. There's a man that's been living in the graveyard, a place with dead bodies, a place of uncleanliness, uh, a, a place that nobody wants to be in the daylight or in the evening. It's filled with dead man's bones. And here is a man that might as well be dead. He is possessed by a thousand or more uh, demons. He's not in his right mind. He scratches himself. He cuts himself. He has tried to be chained, uh, chained up, but he breaks those chains and he runs into Jesus. And he has this encounter with Jesus where Jesus rebukes the demons and sends them into pigs, freeing the man from this demonic possession. And when Jesus comes back, there he is and he's sitting dressed and in his right mind. He's been completely set right, not just physically, but spiritually as well. His bondages, his, the chains that held him down have been broken forever. And so we see this. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus earnestly that he might remain with him. One of the things I find interesting about this story is that everywhere Jesus went, he told people to follow me, right? follow me. And followers would come. And then we read stories where some followers would follow and some said, eh, not for me and went the opposite direction. And here's a man that desperately wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, follow me. He gives him another instruction. He says, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. That word there, Decapolis, can you say that with me? Decapolis, all right? That was an area that wasn't Jewish. This was a non-Jewish, this was a Gentile area. And so the first missionary to the Decapolis wasn't one of Jesus's Jewish disciples. It was this man whose life had been utterly transformed and saved by Jesus Christ, the chains of bondage had been broken off of him. And he goes out and the first people to the first area outside of the Jewish community to hear about Jesus was because of this man, because he went from being scarred to being set right. Next story is the exact, it's the next story in Mark. There's a woman and she's been bleeding for 12 years. She is hurting, not just physically, she's hurting emotionally. If you were a woman and you were bleeding all the time for 12 years, you would have been isolated. You would have been cut off from being able to to go to to church, to be able to be in any of the uh, Jewish festivals or anything like that because you would have been considered unclean. She was hurting and had been for 12 years. 12 years is a long time, isn't it, folks? 
right? My son's going to turn 13. That has been a long 12 years uh, that my wife and I have had, okay? Uh, And so we're ready for the next uh, 12. But 12 12 years is a long time to be suffering and to be uh, needing to be healed. She was hurting for so long. And Jesus, being a uh, Jewish rabbi and a Jewish teacher, uh, probably would have been wearing something like this, which is a prayer shawl. And uh, we see throughout scripture, people are coming up to Jesus and they're asking directly, please heal me, or I want you to heal somebody that I love. And they had a conversation with Jesus. I don't know what, how hurt she was. I don't know what she was feeling, whether she felt like it was impossible to talk to Jesus or she felt like she wasn't good enough or she was too unclean, but she thought to herself, if I could only touch the hem of his garment. If I could only just grab the side of his shawl, then I know I will be healed. I trust in him that much. And so Jesus is walking through a crowd. People are pushing on him. And all of a sudden, she reaches out, she touches the corner, and she feels within herself that she is healed. And Jesus feels that some sort of power came out for him. And Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? Nobody says anything. His disciples are like, uh, everybody's touching you, uh, right, Jesus? And he, he keeps asking, who touched me? And then we see her response here. This woman was with, filled with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affl- affliction. She was hurting and needed healing, and she trusted Jesus enough, and she saw that healing. Sometimes healing happens in an instant. Sometimes healing happens over a lifetime. But she brought her hurts to Jesus, and she experienced healing. And then the last story is in John chapter 21. This is the last chapter in uh, the fourth gospel, which is John. And this is the only thing I really had at the house. I don't like to fish. I don't like fish. Does anybody here not like to eat fish? right? I mean, when the best thing you can say about fish is it doesn't taste fishy, that's, you know, go ahead and give me the chicken, right, for that. Okay, so, uh, but Peter's job, when we first meet Peter early in the Gospels, is he's a fisherman. He's part of the family business. He's a fisherman. And Jesus says, you know what, you fished for uh, things out in the sea. I'm going to teach you to fish for men and women, to fish for people. And Peter follows Jesus, and his life is utterly transformed from there. He goes on, and he becomes one of the disciples. And he goes forth, and he preaches, and he teaches, and he heals. And he comes back and he shares those stories with, with Jesus and, and the rest of the, the followers and disciples. And then Peter is also in one of the inner circles. He's with Jesus at some of the most pivotal moments in time. And sometimes Peter is uh, really awesome. And sometimes Peter puts his foot in his mouth. When I read stories about Peter in the gospels, I feel a little better about myself, right? Okay. That at least I didn't say that, uh, right? Or at least I didn't do that action. But Peter uh, is, is so zealous for being a follower of Jesus, that when Jesus says, look, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be hung on a cross. Peter says, no, 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 no. If everybody else leaves you, I'm going to be by your side. I'm going to be your man. And when the guards come, when the people come to arrest Jesus, and they drag him off to a kangaroo court, everyone around Jesus flees, including Peter. Now, Peter doesn't flee far He's on the outskirts. He's watching. He's hiding. He doesn't know if he's able to to be as bold as he once was. 
And he's there on the outsides of, of the trial where Jesus is being uh, held and beaten and lied about. And people keep coming up and saying, Peter, I know you, you follow Jesus. No, I don't. No, I don't. And somebody else comes up and goes, yeah, yeah, no, uh, you've got the same accent, right? I can pick up on that. I know you were with Jesus. No. And a little girl comes up, a little girl, and asks Peter if he knew Jesus. And he essentially curses her out, storms off, and he locks eyes with Jesus across the courtyard. And he's known that instead of standing with Jesus, he failed. One of the biggest failures I think any of us could ever imagine is walking away from our faith, from, from, from failing our Savior, the one who transformed and saved us. And here's Peter doing that. Well, after Jesus is killed, he's put in the tomb by the power of the Holy Spirit, three days later is raised from the dead. And then Jesus begins meeting with uh, those that loved him and knew him and his disciples. And Peter is doing what he did best, what he knew. He was back to fishing. And Jesus and him have a breakfast on the beach and they talk and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. And then John chapter 21, beginning in verse 17, says this. Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. See, Jesus didn't say, Peter, you're such a huge failure. He said, Peter, I forgive you and I want you to follow me and I want you to feed my sheep. I'm not done with you yet. You may feel like you're a remarkable failure, but I'm gonna restore you as a follower. You may feel like a failure, but I am more faithful than you can ever imagine. So we've got these four stories here, right? The story of the woman at the well, the the story of the man who was healed by demon possession, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Uh, And then we've got Peter, this disciple of Jesus who failed. What would they say to you? Or how would they help you tell your story if it were to fit in one of those categories? I think the woman at the well would say to us, hey, you may have made mistakes in this life, but you can be made new. You may have made mistakes, but you can be made new. The man who was healed spiritually and physically, he might say, when I get to share my scars, I get to share my savior. When I, when I show the scars in my life, I get to share what my savior has done for me. The woman who was bleeding, who had been healed, I took my deepest hurts to Jesus and I found healing took my deepest hurts to Jesus and I found healing. And then Peter, even when you have failed spectacularly, Jesus is supernaturally faithful to you in those moments, right? I think that's what they would say to us. So again, I don't know your story. 
I don't know how God transformed you. I don't know if it was when you were young and you accepted Jesus, or maybe later in life you came to realize I had grown up in church, but I'd never really followed Jesus. And so you were a little older when Jesus transformed you, or you really fell in love with Jesus, or you saw his healing and rescue from something. I don't know what that, what, what your story is, but I do know you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell to help you remember what God has done for you, and you have a story to tell to help reveal what is possible in the lives of those around us. And so for you, for us as we end today, I want to encourage you. You have a story to tell. Don't be afraid to tell it. Perhaps your story is a story that will help move somebody else's story forward closer to Jesus Christ. And so as we leave this place today, I want to encourage you to be blessed and then to go home to the people that you know and to those that you encounter throughout the week and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you.